Welcome to Glass Onion. Looking, look, I, let's uh, take two. Uh, <laughs> we should probably just start with that. Welcome to Looking Through the Glass Onion. This is a podcast uh, started by myself, Billy McGuigan, and my very good friend, Jay Hansen. Uh, let's see, I'm Billy McGuigan, uh, touring musician, huge Beatles fan. Uh, Paul's my favorite Beatle, though I'm starting to lean towards George a little bit more. <laughs> and I'm really starting to appreciate Ringo and John, is of course John. And I'm going to introduce you to my partner here, Mr. Jay Hansen. Hello, this is Jay Hansen. Uh, I have toured with Billy for several years now. I've been a musician for most of my life and a Beatles fanatic since I was three. Yeah, I think we're both self-proclaimed Beatles nerds. <laughs> totally. Uh, to the highest level. Um <laughs> So you may agree with what we say. You may not agree with what you say. What we say, you can uh, always send your comments to info at billymcguigan.com. We My, appreciate those. Yeah, we send any comments. We may not listen to them um, because we all know how opinions are. <laughs> so what we're going to do is uh, hopefully weekly, maybe, maybe once a month. We'll figure it out as we go along. We're going to pick a Beatles song. And we're going to look at it through the glass onion. And that's our unique perspective, what we know off the top of our head, what you know from recording-wise, what we know about the culturally, where it charted. Just stupid facts that we know because we want to get them out of our head. <laughs> and today we're starting with, um, I guess, the first Beatles song. This is, right? This is their first single. It's their first single? Yeah. Love yeah. Me Do. Love Me Do. Indeed. So let's talk about, right off the bat, recording of Love Me Do. This was recorded in uh, 1963. 62. It's in 1962. Let's yeah. see. There we go. 1962. Three times it was recorded, but let's start with the very first recording, which was the Beatles audition. Right? This Indeed. is their very yes. first. In June 6th, I believe, of 62. Right off the top. There are no notes in front of him, by the way. <laughs> so June 6th of 62, the Beatles go into uh, Abbey Road for the very first time. Uh, George Martin did not produce the first session. It's produced by, do you have the guy's name? I believe Ron Richards. Ron Richards. Well yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So... So they go in, yeah, and they're very nervous. Pete Best is on drums. Pete Best is on drums. Yeah. Now talk to me about that. Well, uh, you know, if you listen to the Love Me Do yeah. song, there's, a, there's a, a, a spot where it speeds up. It's <laughs> shitty is what it is. I don't know any other way to put it. I, it's on the anthology, right? So this was thought to be a lost recording. Right. It shows up on the anthology. So if you want to reference and listen to the, the bridge is so awful. It's like, Pete, you're out of the band. Right. It doesn't matter how good looking you are, allegedly. I can't tell that stuff. But yeah, it's like, that was insane. And so, yeah, it's no surprise that between then and the next visit back, Pete's no longer Pete's, part of the Beatles. <laughs> Pete has been asked to leave. Uh, and actually, today is the anniversary of Pete being kicked out of the band. Yeah, so ironically yeah. enough, here we are. Yeah, totally. So give that song a listen for reference, because it is bad. I mean, the Beatles don't, yeah. they don't sound like the Beatles yet, and I'm not sure what George Martin heard in that. Love Me Do was the one allegedly where Ron Richards, like George Martin wasn't even in the control room when they were playing that, but but Ron Richards allegedly um, said, go get George from the canteen. This Love Me Do song has something to it. Interesting. Yeah. So he's which, the guy that heard something out of it, which you got to dig through it because <laughs> it does not sound like the song that we all know. Right. So, the, so they record that. The Beatles asked Brian Epstein to fire Pete Best. They hire Ringo, who was 
a crack drummer at the time. I mean, he was like a professional drummer. Yeah. A legitimate drummer. So if, if you want to listen to this podcast and hear people bag on Ringo, go listen to something else because <laughs> we're all big Ringo fans. <laughs> Not going to happen here. Uh, so the next time they come back, let's talk about that. So this is their, they're laying, they're recording their own original song. Yes. Yeah. Love Me Do. Um, so they come back September 4th. Yeah. Um, and so Ringo's been with the band for three weeks at that point. <laughs> Playing some live gigs, learning the tunes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he records on September 4th. Yeah. Um, they do Love Me Do. I'm not sure what other ones. I think How Do You Do It. How Do You Do It, right. Which was... Did they record the, the B-side at that time? P.S. I Love You? I don't remember. Yeah, maybe that was the next song. That'll be on the P.S. I Love the, You one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And that one, that one's a, that's, that is a good recording. And that's the recording we hear on uh, Past Masters, perhaps. That's a great question. So it's, can, gets, can, This is where it gets a little fuzzy. It's yes, confusing. and so the, the, the way to tell is if you hear a tambourine on the recording. That's Andy White. Andy White was playing. Right. Is it Andy White or Alan White? Andy White. Is it Andy? Okay. Andy. I always get, I always get the first name. All right, so I have um, notes out now. Nice, nice. Yep. Um, so if there's tambourine on the recording, Ringo's playing the tambourine. If there's no tambourine, Ringo's playing the drums. And and what an interesting choice to be made. I mean, I think I think that Ringo plays it well. You can hear that it's. And I prefer the non-tambourine version when I'm yeah. listening. When you A B them, uh, it sounds better to me. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Because uh, Andy White was this professional drummer they bring in, not a Beatle. No. And so they put Ringo on tambourine in the corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, mean, I mean, it's fine. But I don't hear that version. I hear the, you know. It's, been a, it's been a thorn in Ringo's side for his entire career. And we'll, get, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. So, so they record the song. They release it. It becomes a hit in, in England. So it reaches yeah. uh, number 14 yeah. on the charts for the Beatles. A lot of people think Brian Epstein went in and bought 10,000 copies oh, I to boost it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which is an interesting fact. There, it, it appears on the record, Please Please Me. Yes. It appears on Past Masters. Yes. It's on the Beatles One record. It's on the anthology, and it's on Live at the BBC. So this song is released five different times. Um, and let's talk about the writing of it. So when I hear it, you can definitely hear the Everly Brothers' influence on this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Def- it's the same chords as Rave On. So the Beatles are big Buddy Holly fans. Sure, It's yeah. the same three chords as Rave On, G, C, D. And one of the few Beatles songs is just three chords, by the way. Yeah. And, which and is interesting. Probably Paul's, like, tamest bass line. Correct. Like, it, it's, it's probably, like, those three notes <laughs> with maybe a passing tone here and there. Yeah, and not, not a sophisticated song. Again, you don't hear what they would become. You don't hear the brilliance of their songwriting. Yeah. Maybe a little bit in what John adds, because there's a little discrepancy when they're talking about writing it. Paul thinks they wrote it together. 100% oh, okay. together. Okay. John's recollection was that Paul wrote it and he may have helped with the middle eight, which is a common John thing. If he didn't love the song, he says, ah, I might have said the middle eight, but what do you, what do you hear in that? Well, I, that's interesting because it leads me to the story about the recording yeah. when John was singing it right. and then he was playing the harmonica right. and it was love me. And then he like, wasn't able to see right. do. And George Martin was like, you can't have a song. You can't have the song be love me. Wah! 
And so, so like on the spot, he tells Paul, okay, you're going to have to sing this. And Paul's like, oh, and you hear that. Yeah. You hear that and a little Paul, bit. Paul references it too. <laughs> it's, 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 it's one of the rare times you'll hear a Beatle nervous. It, very true. Because those dudes were very confident. They were very <laughs> cocky, very confident. And they're shaky on that. Yeah. But there adds, that adds kind of this, this cool side thing to it. Where George Martin, first of all, steps in yeah. as their producer and says, and that doesn't last very long. That's like right. a two or three year period. Yeah. And then he becomes, at, he's at their disposal. But here he goes, John, you don't sing that. Paul, you sing this line. We have to cross it. What an interesting choice. And it works so well. <laughs> Indeed. Because Paul does sound awesome singing it. Yeah. yeah. Although he, Paul himself admits that um, John sounded better because right. it was like, more of a John thing. Right. Um, but, you know, uh-huh. Paul does some things at the end there that John probably couldn't have done. Right. You his, know? his signature outro singing. Right. Well, yeah. yeah, you're right. This is, um, I want to get back to the songwriting of it because they wrote, Paul claims that he wrote it when he was 16. Okay. So this is a song that they wrote together, whether John's contribution is 50% or 10%. They right. still wrote it together. Right. And you can hear that, I think, with those harmonies that they sing. Yeah. Again, not easy to sing together. It's, it's, it, but it, 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 they're starting to sprinkle in the way they sound, which they hone in Hamburg, which this song was part of their live performances then, which I find interesting because it wasn't in their repertoire when they, when they started touring America. Right. It wasn't a song that they pulled out live. Early on, obviously, it was part of their repertoire. They, they scratch it for whatever reason. But I think you, you hear them developing these really interesting harmonic choices that then sprinkle, you know, she loves you, I want to hold your hand. So. Yeah, indeed. I mean, they, you know, I'm not going to get into the, um, the musical theory of it because I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go there because we don't understand that. Right. I mean, <laughs> but neither did you know, they. <laughs> right, yeah, that's yeah. the best part. Um, but... They definitely, yeah, like like you said earlier, Everly Brothers, huge influence, um, and their their choices of harmony notes. Um, they do go a lot of fifths rather than thirds. Right. That's as techy as I'm going to get theory Which wise. Is interesting. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's Everly Brothers influence, but you you hear the beginnings of it, yeah, right from the very first song they record. For me, it's one of their most country and western songs i don't know why it always it it always screams like country to me where they get away from that right away i mean i mean they always have that influence you know they do act naturally some of the song you know what goes on is definitely a beatle country song but for one of their first songs out of the gate to have that yeah and if you listen also to the record the the pete best recording paul's bass sounds like an elvis upright bass it's almost as if they Give it if you give it anybody. I just listened to it beforehand. Just it doesn't sound like anything else. So it just gives it that kind of them in a corner, trying to be Elvis, trying to be Buddy Holly, trying to be the Everly Brothers. Right. Uh, It's interesting. It's it's a cool song. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Interesting thing about that. So in the recording, I believe it was on the test. Well, yeah, you just um, Pete Best test. um, (laughs) Paul's bass amp was was making so much noise that they actually had to. They went to the chamber, which 
we'll talk about the chambers yeah. at Abbey Road eventually. Um, <laughs> but they went to the chamber because they weren't going to use it on that session. They went to the chamber, pulled out the speaker that fed the chamber, and that's and uh, I believe Ken Townsend, who was the gentleman who introduced or invented artificial double tracking. ADT. Which we'll get into as well. We'll get into that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, he uh, wired up the the speaker for the chamber for Paul to use as his bass amp because his bass amp was so in such poor condition. <laughs> and they were, I mean, they were just they saw them bringing, you know, the engineer and they they saw them bringing the the gear in there like, oh my god, <laughs> Beetle. That's an interesting side. Yeah, the, they weren't big gearheads. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, you know. The, the, the great line is, you know, what kind of strings do you use on your bass, Paul? Long, shiny ones. <laughs> yeah, no idea. Probably has never changed a bass string in his entire life. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the charting of it. So it charts at 14 again because I think Brian Epstein uh, <laughs> boosted sales, which he had every right to do. Sure, that, wasn't, yeah. that wasn't something that... Let me, let me find some charting... Uh, let me let me go to my book here. So it charts here in, yeah, UK, it's released 1962. Okay. It gets to number four, they're saying in this book here. So my reference is The Hard Day is Right. However, the, the four, what, in reading deeper, that was when it was re-released in the 80s. It got as high as four. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, okay. In the US, it, it's released two years later, 1964. Sure. Obviously shoots to number one. Right. That's what's interesting about this song. This was a, a, a to Americans. This was like give us give us everything you have. Oh, yeah, give us everything yeah, you have, yeah. and they lay it on you and you're like, oh my god, this is the greatest. Uh, you know, is it as good as their other number one songs? That's my question for you. Oh no, no, right, exactly. <laughs> That's but it, you, we'll get into the signature of it. But it, it's let's talk about instrumentation, which okay. was which I think makes it interesting too. So we have Paul on his bass, yeah. Hoffner bass. Uh, Hoffner bass through whatever amp. <laughs> Ringo on, uh, was he on a Ludwig kit at that time or is he still playing something? Is he on Premiere? You know, kit? he had a Premiere kit uh, in, I, 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 I would have to verify something, that, but something. it was Premiere or I don't know if he'd moved to the Ludwig yet. We'll call it Premiere. Yeah. We're going to go out on a limb there. <laughs> we don't know what Tamburini was playing when he was relegated to the corner. You have George on a Gibson J160? Yeah, I think both George and John. And I, think John. That's, I think it's just those acoustics. And then, of course, the, uh, electric acoustics. the signature harmonica. Yeah. So, so talk about that, because this is, when we get to playing it live, that's, that's also an interesting thing. But John played a different type of harmonica than, say, a blues guy would have played at the time, right? So he's playing a chromatic. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so it's a chromatic. Uh, it's probably a honer chromatic. Uh, it's either a 64 note or a 48, depending on who you <laughs> hey, talk to. Hey, he may to. not know music theory, but he is riffing this <laughs> off the top of his head. I can verify. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It may or may not be right, but um, so yeah. So John had a he had a distinction between um, mouth harp and harmonica. So mouth harp would be a non-chromatic, like a blues blues yeah, guy harmonica. Yeah, which yeah. he played a ton of as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that are, you know, skeptical that John actually played a chromatic right. harmonica because it seems beyond their level of musicianship right there's no way to play this song on anything but a chromatic correct harmonica so um 
as a non harmonica player who plays harmonica live in a show, it's one of the most terrifying songs we do. <laughs> you just have to step out there. <laughs> but it's definitely a chromatic. There's, there's, uh, I, I challenge anybody to bend that note, um, whichever note it is. Um, and it, I guess it is possible, but if you listen to the recording, it's not a That's bent what note. He's doing right, yeah. and and I and some of the research I did, they they were on tour early on, and the guy that played the harmonica on "Hey Baby," the "Hey Hey Baby." Taught John how to play that particular harmonica. Oh, Delbert McClinton. Delbert McClinton. Yeah. So Delbert McClinton was showing John. He said it. This was three months before they recorded "Love Me Do." Wow. And he figured it out that quickly. So yeah. I mean that that's their genius. They're they're sponges. They take that information, spit it out. I mean, this could very easily have been a killer Everly Brothers song, yeah. a Buddy Holly song, or an Elvis song. I mean, that's what's cool about about the things they're doing. So yeah. let's uh, let's move on a little bit. Okay. Here. Let's talk about where you think it ranks amongst uh, Beatles songs. So we're gonna rate every song we do, giving it glass onions. So and you have to defend how you're gonna do it. So all right, all right. Uh, one glass onion would be not a second time, which I think in both <laughs> of our opinion is the worst Beatles song. Uh, you can argue. Again, info at billymcguigan.com. We don't care. It's our opinion. Not a second time to a day in the life, which is maybe the greatest song ever recorded. Yeah. Period. So that's five glass onions. So for for you, where does Love Me Do fall for you? How many glass onions would you give this song? You know, it's not um it's not their strongest effort. Yeah. But considering where it comes from, and it it, it I do have a soft spot in my heart for it. Yeah. Um are we going decimals? Can we give a... You can give it decimals, okay. yeah. I'm going to go three, three and a half. Three and a half, three and a half glass Very interesting. onions. I was also going to give it three and a half glass onions. Okay, interesting. Uh, the reason I don't give it four, because I, I, I think it, it's not a signature Beatles song, right? It's right. not It's yeah. not like... What, the second I think of great Beatles songs, I don't think of Love Me Do. Right. But it does define a lot about them and that period, which I think is cool. That It's one of the first songs they wrote, and it's a number one hit. Yeah. It, it's amazing in that way. It's got the harmonica, which again would influence. From it's three and a half because it looks out into the future. Right? Yeah, it looks at what it would become. But the B side might be a better song. That's why I don't give it four. Because P.S. I love you is just a <laughs> it's great. Fantastic. I like any song that can use treasure. I don't know. I'm weird like that. <laughs> so we're giving it uh, three and a half uh, stars. Do you have any interesting facts you know off the top of your head about Love Me Do? Uh, you know, just the. Uh... I, I love the thing about Paul having to sing it live. Yeah, um, yeah that's... Uh, I, I've got some interesting, stupid sh- shit that I know off the top of nice, my head about nice. this song. So this is one of two songs the Beatle, that the Beatles own. This was pre, oh, okay. pre-publishing of the songs that Michael Jackson estate now owns. Really? So, okay. So, yeah, that, so right. they own Love Me Do and P.S. I Love You. Okay. This is one, the, one of the only songs that solo Beatles have both recorded versions of. Ah, Ringo recorded it on his, on his shitty album, Vertical Man, because, and he talked about how he was relegated to tambourine and never forgave George Martin, tongue-in-cheek, of course. Right. And he recorded a version, love, love me do. <laughs> it's not great, but it's, it's fun. Sure. He also yeah. plays it live. He does. He performs it live. So McCartney on the Flowers in the Dirt session... 
did a song, and if you haven't heard this, you got to hear it. It's called P.S. Love Me Do. It's fucking awful. But, <laughs> but it's McCartney singing, as I write. It's like funky, and then they, love me do. Yeah, you got to listen to it. Wow, okay. And also, McCartney has just started performing this song live. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. never thought of it as a McCartney song. It's always been a John song to me. Right. I don't know why. I just hear John, but, yeah. but it's a, you know, John himself says this is a Paul song. So it was interesting to hear him do it live. And then I liked it. You know, it was like, oh, damn, that was cool to see McCartney performing one of the, oh, yeah. the first songs. So give those a listen. You know, my, actually, watching him play it live uh, made me feel better because I saw the fear in Wix's <laughs> eyes, too. <laughs> when you see the fear in Wix's eyes, you know some shit is about to go down. <laughs> he was doing the same thing I do. Dropping the note <laughs> off the mic. <laughs> All right, so we're going to bring a perspective that I think um, is interesting that maybe only you and I can bring. We, yeah. We have probably, we performed somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1,500 Beatles shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do a show, for those of you who don't know, um, we do a show called Yesterday and Today where we don't, we don't dress up like the Beatles. Uh, we play the correct instruments most of the time. Uh, yeah. Uh, but we perform every Beatles song live. So we do an all-request show. The audience gives their request. We read their request, play the song. So we, we can bring an interesting perspective. We played this song at least 100 times live. Yeah, yeah. It's not the most requested, it's but it's there. probably the most, it's the most often played harmonica song, is how I think of it. V- correct. So yeah. let's talk about what it takes to pull this song off live. Because I'm... And we'll get into this as we go along. But for me, when we're playing these early songs, these are the most difficult songs to pull off live, I think, mm-hmm. as opposed to even A Day in the Life or I'm the Walrus or something like that, because you can hide behind layers of sound. But because the Beatles were so tight in those early days, making it sound right is hard to do. So let's talk about you playing the harmonica, first of all. How many hours of harmonica time did you put in? preparing to play, because we had a different guy play it when we first started the show. Again, he played it with two harmonicas. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, he would switch for the... That was my switching. You can't see that. (laughs) Um, But talk talk about it, because it is. That's one of those things. And we've all, in in performing these songs, I had to go outside of our comfort level. And for you, harmonica isn't an instrument that you were playing before, right? You know, I played it in college, uh, which was a couple years ago but it was um, just one time and it doesn't count <laughs> oh i'm sorry back to the harmonica <laughs> oh my god that's great um yeah so it you know i had definitely never played chromatic harmonica right. um so that was new and and figuring out the button thing you know and and um yeah so so that was tricky and and it's um it actually on the harmonica I own, which is a 48 hole. Again, just one, it didn't count. <laughs> so if, if so for you, for those of you who aren't musically inclined to understand what he's talking about, so a regular harmonica that you see a blues guy playing on stage, it's very small, fits kind of in the cup of your left hand. Yeah. The chromatic is huge. It's, like it's much larger. Stevie Wonder uh, on For Once in My Life playing a... <laughs> yeah, it's... It's big. If you think of Stevie Wonder, he's playing a chromatic harmonica yeah. all the time. So it's definitely a different sound than, than what you would hear on I Should Have Known Better right. or... Um, 
anything Bob Dylan would do. Perfect. Bob Dylan perfect example. Puts on a, a neck brace, plays, you know, gets the right key, just plays, you know, hits a note and it's fine. So yeah, so and then the you know, it's tricky just learning that, learning a new instrument. You know, it, it the huff the tar the hardest note is the it hits the lowest note on my harmonica, um, and that it's hard to make that project. And, and that's on correct. the solo. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, it's tricky, but it's also a challenge, and that's part of why we do what we do. That's know? right. Yeah. The singing part of it. Um, my brothers sing sing this song in the show, uh, though I've started to do it a little bit live. It's it's they are tr- it's tricky to get that part right. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, not being musically trained, I, and growing up with the Beatles the way that I did, I only hear one voice. Like I don't hear oh, sure. a harmony, right? I just hear love, love me do. You know what I mean? It, yeah. I, or it, it's it's interesting to think of it that way. But I hear it as one voice, so that's I can switch either way. And um, but when you th- stop and think about it. It's it's an interesting choice that they made that I think if you go here just like a, a bar band play it somewhere, they're never going to do it right. It's, sure. You yeah. have to be locked in with the person that's singing. Um, you have to almost be looking at each other. Uh, it, it, it does present challenges to pull it off correctly, yeah. this this song. And it's, I think for me, it's the drums. Because it's not like a difficult drum part, but it's if you're not doing it right... If any of those elements are off, if the harmonica isn't right, if the harmonies aren't right, and those drums aren't right, this could fall apart. So I'm gonna. This is a difficult song to pull off live, even though it's three chords. It, it, it surprisingly it is. Right? You would think it would just be. Oh, this is this is right. We can punt this on a one to Not ten. Ten being the most difficult. I, I'm like at an eight and a half. I, nine. I was gonna say eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, if your band is going to go and play this live, listen. Don't mess it up. Yeah. You yeah. got to have every little part right, especially with all the early Beatles songs. I'm talking 62 to 64. You better woodshed that and you better <laughs> like get tight and, and learn how to do it because you know, you're going to make the mistake like the, the little D part when it hits the D, the guitar doesn't play the D. It's totally. Just the, we used to do that so often. Ring, because yeah. it sounds cool, but it's fucking it up. Right. right. Yeah. Oh my God. That's, yeah. <laughs> and it... You earlier you talked about it being sort of a country western thing. That's totally a country western thing. Right. To leave it out right there and just be. It's not uh, a rock thing. Yeah. And it's not yeah. even a Beatles thing because right. they typically always yeah. hit those. But you gotta you gotta let it breathe. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. You know, it, some people have said like Beatles music is our classical music. Yeah. And and I think that people know when you're not playing it right, whether they can identify it or not. That's right. And so I, you know, because whether you want to avoid it, whether you're even a fan of the Beatles, you've heard that song a million times. Probably, it's a part know. of your consciousness yeah. if you're born past 1950. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so I think it's, you know, it's easy to just go. That was the case for me when we first started doing this. Yeah. You know, there were songs that I underestimated greatly, thinking, okay, well, I can just figure that out. And then you get into, it and it's like. Yeah. Okay, this explains a lot of why they were so good. That's right. You know? Again, the simplicity, it's one of their only songs that's three chords. Yeah. You just have a harmonica, guitar, drums, bass, two guys singing. But don't underestimate that. If you're going to put this in your live repertoire, 
you better woodshed this one because it will eat you alive. Do you have anything else to add about Love Me Do? I, I don't. I, uh, I feel like we've, uh, we've started well. I, I feel like we did too. Yeah. Hopefully it's been interesting to somebody listening. Even if it's just you and I listening to it back, <laughs> we're still in. Yeah. We'll have two plays. Yeah. <laughs> Please, thank you. Uh, so give Love Me Do a listen. It's one of the only Beatles songs where you can hear three different drummers playing. Also listen to the Vertical Man Ringo version. <laughs> and I don't know what Paul was thinking. Probably he was smoking a lot of weed at the time. <laughs> P.S. Love Me Do from the Flowers in the Dirt sessions. I'm Billy McGuigan with my good friend Jay Hansen. Um, we'll be back again. Yeah. Jay's picking the next song. Ooh. Yeah. So, again, we're going to be all over the place. We, though we started with the first song, we're not going to go, you know, through everything. We'll pick something in the middle or in the end somewhere. Yeah. And uh, this was Looking Through the Glass Under, episode one.